What's happening, weirdos? We are doing a live You Made It Weird right off the bat. I'm going to tell you. Live You Made It Weird, April 10th with me, Val, sweet lady Val, Jason, Jason, Jason Schwartzman, the incredible actor and musician, and music from Matt Berninger from The National, and questions from you guys in the chat, live and immediate and amazing. It's going to be great. Uh, it's name your price. I know some people uh, are working less uh, than they usually are during the quarantine. Um, still want you to come, so name your price. And uh, those that are working, maybe float a little, maybe float an extra buck to help those that uh, that aren't, so we can uh, spread that love around to the guests and everybody that's helping us produce the show. Um, we hope to see you there. Tickets at PeteHolmes.com. My my website just points to the page for the tickets on April 10th. In the meantime, meaning right now, this is Martin Starr. Boy, I I loved this episode so much. Let's get to it, as I always say, as quickly as possible. We only have one Pete's pick uh, for this episode. Um, so if you want to show your support for the show, please try Harry's. For so long, I've been using... Uh, the only razors I knew of, really. I yeah, It rhymes with Smollett. Um, I'd get it at CVS. They'd uh, have to get a manager with a key around their neck to unlock the glass case, the jewelry section of the CVS. And no wonder, they cost like $3,000 uh, per refill. And I was tired of it. Somebody I found out about Harry's through the podcast, and I am blown away. Not only are they as good as the super expensive Smolettes, they are even better than the super expensive Smolettes, and they're delivered directly to your door. So try Harry's. Uh, for your shaving needs. Too often we're choosing between quality or a fair price. With Harry's, you don't have to choose. They give you award-winning blades at factory direct prices. I was, uh, like I said, I, I was with the big guys. I was shaving over certain spots on my face two, three times. And with these Harry's blades, it's one and done. I can't believe it. They're even better and it's shipped directly to my door. Couldn't be easier, so I always have fresh, sharp blades on the way, which I love. So for a limited time, Harry's is offering their starter set plus a free body wash for just three bucks. That always seems like a typo, but it's just three American dollars at harrys.com slash weird. Harry's delivers a close, comfortable shave at a fair price. It's only $2 per refill. They believe in quality so much that they bought their own factory in Germany so they could own every step of the manufacturing process. How do they do it? Harry's team combined a simple, oh boy, ergonomic, 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 I said it, (laughs) ergonomic. That's not so hard. For some reason, I couldn't say ergonomic last time. Ergonomic design with five sharp blades. They source their steel, their steel from Sweden and manufacture their blades in their world-class blade factory. Harry's German factory is one of the select few manufacturers in the world that have mastered the technology to create the Gothic arch. That's where it's uh, wide on one end and gets thinner and thinner and sharper and sharper as you go. It's the gold standard for razor blade grinding. They have 100% quality guarantee. They stand behind the quality of their blades so much. They have a 100% money back guarantee on harrys.com. So for a limited time, Harry's has an exclusive offer for weirdos. 
New customers get a Harry's starter set and a free body wash for just three bucks at harrys.com slash weird. That's over a $16 value for three bucks. You get a five blade razor with a weighted handle, foaming shave gel, a travel cover, and a travel size body wash. It's an incredible, great deal, uh, but act fast while supplies last and show your support of this show. Go to harrys.com slash weird to redeem your offer. All right, guys, enjoy Martin Starr. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And uh, get some Harry's, show your support of the show. And I can't wait to see you at the live show on April 10th. Me, Val, Jason Schwartzman, and Matt Berninger. It's going to be, and you, it's going to be incredible. Uh, so please join us if you can. Tickets at PeteHolmes.com for the live. Yeah, met it. Wow. In the meantime, enjoy. Martin, Martin Starr. Get into it. Right down Martin Claus Lane. All the Martin Claus boys and girls and Martin Martin. <laughs> is that a good way to start? Oh, there he is. How are you? Missed. Oh, don't give me that trademark flat hello. How dare you? <laughs> How are, are you doing all right? <clears throat> Uh, good man, nice to see you. Likewise. Are you good? Um, yeah, I think so. I'm alive, so that's a good start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're recording. Is that okay? We we just sort of start. I like that. The hey, how you doing? Yeah. yeah. Are you? Well, um, uh, you said it wasn't video, right? No video. Look at the towels hanging up behind me in the garbage can. <laughs> I, I thought that was your aesthetic. No, sir. No. It smells really bad in here. I have a sauna, and I use it a lot. And uh, you could tell. A blind person could tell that there's a sauna in here. Because it, it reeks in only a way that uh, a human body in a room with closed doors and windows can produce. So, Do you take a shit in the sauna? Every, every once in a while. That's that's the main people don't talk about this, but the main point of saunaing is to get the bowels, the inside of your bowels yeah, sweating. I don't so, think this is right. I'm gonna do a little Google search while we're talking no, today. No. But. You won't find it. You'd have to go on uh the dark web to find this. This is real stuff. I'm gonna bing it. Because yeah. Google isn't as accurate these days. That's what I hear. I sometimes go to Bing. I think it was Jonah Ray told me to go to Bing. <laughs> And I do go to Bing every once in a while, and you do get what different, is Bing totally a spot? Different. You do Bing, or you can ask Jeeves. It's totally up to you. You've got options. Jeeves retired. Jeeves is kicking it in uh, the south of France. I think he's done. Is he not? Oh, There's no wow. more Jeeves. I'm going to check right now. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> ask Jeeves I'm, if I'm you can Jeeves. ask Jeeves. <laughs> I'm almost. While you're at it, check web crawler. I mean, these things don't exist anymore. Ask Jeeves is still there. Now it's ask.com. Well, see, Jeeves politely moonwalked away. <laughs> you were right. And he's relaxing. He's like, you can keep the ask. I'm okay with ask, but Jeeves is out. You can just ask me. I don't go by a name anymore. I liked Jeeves. That's when I, uh, to bring you in, Kumail and I were friends in 2001. That's when we met. Braggart. Braggart. I don't want to say we're closer than you could ever be, um, but 
in another way, maybe I could ask Jeeves if that's the way to put it. <laughs> yeah. I would just ask dot com. A hundred percent JK, but that time of my life is earmarked by asking Jeeves. Like the the novelty of how many like a full question. And we have sort of gone full circle because now if you talk to Alexa, you talk to her like a Jeeves or any of those home bots. Mm-hmm. We were watching Frasier a couple nights ago. We're into Frasier. Who cares? And I said, we paused it. And I said, is David Hyde, I said, Alexa, is David Hyde Pierce uh, gay? Because, you know, he's like kind of crazy for women on the show. And we weren't sure if he was really achieving a, a wonderful acting thing, whatever. And, you know, sometimes Alexa will be like, this is what I found on the web. David Hyde Pierce is uh, has been dating a man or whatever. Like, it'll just search for you. But this time Alexa just went... Yes, David Hyde Pierce is gay. <laughs> it just wow. it, it just had it. It was but I mean like it'll do the same thing if I say is Martin Starr married? You know, like it has certain facts that it keeps loaded ready to go and other things that Google old is so and so. Exact amount. But for some reason David Hyde Pierce's uh, sexual orientation is in that's the front line. Documented, yeah. That's public record. She should have said sexuality is a spectrum and who am I to say? Yeah, like, 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 like I, what kind of a question is totally, that? Totally, yeah. You'd have to ask him personally. <laughs> Honestly, I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, I think that's the I correct answer. I don't think it's appropriate for me to talk on this. Um, who, who am I to say is the right answer? When you say we're watching Frasier, I just imagine you and your sauna and your arm kind of around your sauna, (laughs) feeding it popcorn. No, the sauna is... While shitting in it. I'll watch disturbing things or, for lack of a better... Shitting. Or lack of a better... I'll watch, like, The Revenant. I'll watch things that, like, Val, my wife, has no interest in. Especially Mm. since we had a baby. Like, dark things are off the table. So I'm watching, like... Alan versus Pharaoh, for example, like oh, that has no man. place in our house. It's hard for me to watch, but that's what I'll watch in my little man cave. I hate man cave, but in this little area, it doesn't that, make it onto the big screen in the house. That documentary is intense. I, have you watched it all? No, I, ha- I, I, I assume, I guess on HBO Max, you can probably watch them all, but I'm watching on HBO and I've, I've, uh, they air them every Sunday. So I've gotten through the first two that they've aired. That's all there is. HBO Max oh. is just two. Got it. But I, I've only um, watched a little bit. Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, I, I, I'm, I think I'm fascinated at how public a figure he is and how, how insanely protected he was through this through you know through through this you know t- kind of really wretched behavior that he yeah um i mean i, I you know uh, i have to finish watching it and but it's it's like you're it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking and it's also like this um door it's like this uh insight into what Hollywood was like in the nineties. It makes you wonder what else was swept under the rug for the benefit of money, you know, people's careers and money. And, and yeah, power um, is, is so fucked. It's so like I, my, anytime I've, it's, it's Lord of the Rings, it's Gollum and the ring of power. It's power. It's like the most obvious. I've said this a million times, but like power turns people into horrible monsters. I'm not, or it, it, 
shadows horrible monsters, like one or the other. But it's power documented. And- I mean, like what you're saying is is well documented. Yeah, that that's and that's what's so troubling. I wonder in your own case, how comfortable are you with your level of of fame? Because it's sort of like when I f- first started having like writers' rooms, like working on my idea, it take it took a lot of getting used to being like. This is a weird situation. You're sort of becoming an other to your friends. I sure hope they didn't see it that way, but it's hard to not. And so as an actor and a creator yourself, you get picked from the pack, you know, right pretty early on, freaky geeky. Did you ever go like, oh, God, I'm getting some power. This is a dangerous energy to work with. No, I. but I also I think um, I come from a pretty humbling level of uh insecurity and uh depression so um Mm -hmm. that always kind of levels the playing field for me in those feelings and i and but wouldn't that make it worse i mean i'm insecure and i i have bouts of 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 the blues i don't want to say depression because people Mm -hmm. have me but i have both of those things and that's what was feeding it it's like on one hand you are the shiny guy I remember being at South by Southwest and the Silicon Valley posters were everywhere. And I remember seeing those pictures of Kumail everywhere. I didn't know you, but there's Kumail and there's Thomas. And, and I was like, holy fuck. So I feel like your your insecurity or your depression would only make it worse that everybody is sort of hoisting you up again for for the third or fourth time in a major thing in your career. But you're saying it, it kept you from believing the hype. Uh, I mean, for me, yeah. I think it affects everybody uh, differently but but um i think i also had have the fortune of um not uh not being too overwhelmed with it like it was always kind of two steps forward one step back and that helps me just to analyze things and and um you know keep you in perspective yeah are you Um, talking oh go ahead what oh i was gonna say <laughs> uh, it's like when you get off the elevator at the wrong floor. It's a weird yeah. feeling. Um I was saying I was gonna say, is that kind of based on you are on Freaky Geeky, which I know everybody loves now, but in in the reality you, you sort of had your break and then it went away very quickly. Is that what you mean? Like you had a step forward and then you had two back by sort of having to hit not flush it, but like we weren't binging DVDs of shows. That show was canceled, and now it's sort of gone, unless you taped it. Was that the feeling? Like, now you're sort of like, oh, I'm I'm done? Uh, I mean, I, I definitely... There was a period where I quit, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, because I didn't think this was working. And, and it was more... I, looking back, I attribute it to my own lack of determination and, um, you know, drive to to, to figure out how to succeed in this business. It it just wasn't, um, uh, you know, that I I think that was a big part of it. And also having a really shitty agent at the time who didn't (laughs) believe in me and didn't have the uh, wherewithal or the common decency to tell me that she wasn't going to work for me. So Mm. I just had to figure it out over time that all the jobs I got were because of my connections and, and, um, my own resume speaking for itself and and um in any case i you know somehow i've i've bounced back from you know those kind of um 
pitfalls in this business. Um, it, it's funny though to consider that I think of Zach Woods too, who who I'm friendly oh, with. Yeah. The um, sweetest, sweetest boy. He is such a sweet boy. He refuses to do this show because it's impolite to talk about yourself. I mean, that could just be a line, but like, I really get the feeling that he means it, that he would be too embarrassed to answer questions about himself because yeah. when you talk to him, he just wants to hear about you and he's just a giving sweet he's a good listener. He's a great, great listener, but you and him, you know, are, are sort of, I say this as an oddball myself, we're sort of oddballs. And I feel like at that time in show business, don't let me put words in your mouth. I feel like you wouldn't let me do that. But it seems like this is before Martin Starr was a type or or Zach Woods was a type. I watch things now and I go, oh, that was a Zach Woods type. They were looking for a Zach Woods type. You know what I mean? But at the time of Freaks and Geeks, from what I know of the casting of that, they were really casting a wide net because they wanted to find people that like didn't look like they were on TV. Like they like we had Paul, uh, Kevin Arnold's best friend, but like. You you were going even realer and even more kind of crusty retainer with it. You know what I'm saying? And I did that feel like a diagnosis? Like, oh, we had one break, but now Hollywood doesn't know what to do with people like me? Yeah, but thank goodness. I'm so... <laughs> I'm so happy that I didn't get that nobody got their talons in me and I was, you know, valuable, um, you know, as a, as an asset to anybody, um, you know, or anybody realized it really at that time, because mm. uh, I don't know who, who knows what could have happened. I feel like I'm pretty perceptive, but you never know. There are such good con men, especially in this business. Mm. Um, and at, at such a young age, I easily probably could have been convinced that, um, I don't know, it just would have been a different me. And I'm, I'm happy the way that I've ended up. It's, it's all been really fortunate to now have, you know, uh, Freaks and Geeks party down, um, NTSF, uh, and Silicon Valley as like these really beautiful experiences that I've gotten to have. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I we'll get to it later, but uh, the 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 Buddhism. I was very excited to talk to you about Buddhism, um, but have you heard? It comes up so often on this podcast, but you just did it in practice, which is the perhaps story. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll I'll jog your memory. Your house burned down. What a tragedy! And he says perhaps. And then in the rubble, they find gold, and they go, "You found gold. What a what a mitzvah!" And he goes, "Perhaps." And then he's, you know, audited by the IRS and loses everything. Everything is a perhaps. So I just said, oh, my God, maybe if Hollywood had known, had been more open and, and diverse in their casting. I just I don't just mean in race. I mean, in types of people that maybe you could have jumped from one thing to the other. And I hear you saying, thank God that didn't happen, like, because that's another type of prison or potentially a different reality that you wouldn't prefer to yours. Yeah, I'm lucky to be. Uh living and coherent and aware um and present in in how i live my life and i'm um i've learned a lot that i may not have learned uh, had things gone a different way so yeah um i love you know, that it brings us to where we are now and right did you, you you were did you say good to see you <laughs> yeah and good to see you and good to see you <laughs> Before we get to your origin story, I was just going to ask you if you always wanted to be an actor. I watched your audition for Freaky Geeky before this, which I thought was actually really great. I say actually because you were so young and you kind of think it's online because it, it'll be like this funny, awkward audition. But you're getting these laughs. You know your lines. You're giving it 
a delivery and, and a take, which is really, really cool. But before we get to that, let, let me ask you questions maybe you haven't been asked. You can pick one. Okay. Have you ever almost died? Have you ever seen a UFO? Have you ever seen a ghost? <laughs> uh, the first two, yes. The second one, no. Woo! We're off, we're off to the races, baby. I don't need <laughs> tell me, tell me, uh, which one do you think is better? We'll, we'll do this like a stand-up set. <laughs> which one is I, a less? Which, uh, well, oh, like a, you want to build up? Um, yeah. <laughs> I feel like UFOs, we're, we now know they exist. The government has released information that it's pretty clear. I, I, I was driving home um 10 15 years ago maybe and i just and it was late at night um and i hadn't had anything to drink or smoke or anything so i was clear-headed i was just heading home you know at like 11 or 12 and i was blocks away from maybe a mile away from home and i just saw a thing hover not far over the ground just kind of above the headlight above the um uh electrical lines and yeah. and above the trees and it was you know maybe 150 100 100 feet up in the air and it just kind of floated with my car for a little while and i kind of I, I saw it i recognized what it was just that it was something <laughs> I, I couldn't explain in any way and i still don't know what it was and i just kind of thought oh this is something i'll never tell anybody ever about <laughs> Where were you? Where was home? Uh, I was at the time living in uh, Westwood, in uh, Westwood, in Westwood, California, a subsect of Los Angeles. Oh wow! Yeah, it was like the heart of the city. Like it was just a you know a neighborhood. That is wild. Yeah. Did you go like cold? Was it like a terrifying feeling, or were you just sort of you huh. were Martin Starr about it? You were. I just, I just thought <laughs> this is crazy. This is really crazy, and no one will ever know about this. Wow. I'm never going to tell anybody. <laughs> but really it was following book. you? We, uh, no, it was ahead of me. So technically, I was following it, but not by nature of me wanting to. Um, <laughs> uh, you wouldn't really have followed book. it if the road had, had forked and it went to the right. You, you would yeah. not have followed it. Oh, no way. I was not trying to hang out with it. And then it just kind of disappeared. It went up and it disappeared. Um, but there's what a really it, good what book. It, oh, sorry, Martin. One last question. What did, what did it look like? It looked, it, it, there was just a light and I, and I remember the outline of a circle and that was kind of it. There were like, there were, it was like what it, it, it almost felt like it, I could have imagined it. It felt so clearly out of the textbook of what a UFO yeah. looks like that I probably imagined it, but I didn't. I know that I didn't. Um, wow. Wow. Anyway, after this, I'm going to tell no one that this ever happened. <laughs> neither should you. We've had people come on the podcast, tell UFO stories, and they're like, I've told that story before. And the guy that told the story did a podcast, and then that part of the podcast just didn't record. Like, stories like that. Like, it just dropped from the recording. Which Here we go. I find super freaky. <laughs> that didn't happen on I want to be clear that didn't happen to our podcast but a guest told me that had happened to another person so it's second hand what was the book you were going to recommend uh, it's called communion and oh, it's yeah. just it's where we all it's where we all get our image of the traditional gray alien is from the cover of communion I, I didn't read it I, I did watch fire in the sky over and over I was a UFO kid I was very into UFOs 
Uh, so what were you going to say? It's just an incredible, it's just like the, the vivid way that he paints the story is incredible. There's a, there's a moment. I mean, like the, the book itself, one of the kind of key experiences that they keep circling back to is when an, uh, a UFO hovered over their house in upstate New York, or maybe it was in Connecticut, but they're out in the wilderness. Um, and in their cabin, there's just this crazy light that comes in and floods the whole place. And years later, he's still going to therapy dealing with this. And at some point he decides to ask the other people who were in the house, if they saw it and they all just go, yeah. And then no one had ever talked about it before. Wow. And then he asks, he asks his son and, and what they, and the way that they asked his son, uh, was so interesting to me and it wasn't did you see something strange it was did you have any weird dreams while you were at the cabin do you remember when we went there you know two years ago or whatever and he said oh oh i had these dreams of all these little doctors taking me away into their ship oh my god like and it like that line stuck with me i like (laughs) i still get goosebumps just thinking about that yeah Um, it's so insane. Wow. I saw that movie, The Fourth Kind. Did you see The Fourth Kind? It's not No. It's not a great movie, but I thought it was real. It's one of these UFO movies that's supposedly real footage, but it's like before it's like Blair Witch style. But I went in thinking it was real. And for like a month I was terrified that I was gonna be abducted. It was just like the most compelling, terrifying <laughs> story. And then I did stand up about it and somebody it's one of the great things about doing stand-up. It's like journaling in public. And somebody was just like, that's not real. It's like, it's not a, it's like, it's a fake movie. And I was like, so happy. But now communion is a true story. I mean, it's not, it's not a piece of fiction. He's a fiction writer, but he, that's a nonfiction book that he wrote. And he was abducted. He tells stories about how he was abducted. And wow. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. He also talks about how he doesn't particularly, he didn't want to be a part of this community. Like he was, yeah, he didn't, he didn't really want to share his story and, and what followed is, you know, you know, what was to be expected, I suppose, which is, you know, he became the shining light. He became a, a successful, not, not seen as crazy person mm. who is telling the same story that people are often condemned for or, uh, outcast for yeah yeah um and it's it's also like you know now now we know things that we didn't know before they've un, they've declassified documents where the where the, all the stuff that we had heard stories about are clearly true i mean not all of them but but a lot of stuff that you know and it's and I don't know. Who knows? Maybe all this is a distraction and it's all just like a big ruse to keep us from paying attention to what's really going on. Well, Um, that's interesting. I always thought that they dropped all that stuff while we were the most distracted we've ever been. Like that's been over the past. I felt the same way. Yeah. I was like, we could care less. It's like page seven news. So many people didn't read it. And I I was like, how did you not hear that that this happened? Yeah. They just released documents. (laughs) Uh, What were you going to say? I, I didn't read the specific documents. I read some stories about it. But what was the big takeaway, if you don't mind? This isn't really this. Like, this is now not Ask Jeeves. This is Ask Martin. But what <laughs> do you remember? Something really blowing your mind? I know the fighter jets follow them. 
they see the three dots that travel at 90 degree angles and all that stuff. But that's now just like confirmed. There's stuff flying around that we don't know what it is. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And they obviously haven't released everything. But they've released enough so that it's obvious that, um, you know, assuming all this is true, that, that we're that we're not alone, which I, I don't feel one way or the other about it. Cause to be honest, I feel like uh, if I feel like you have to be aware that we can't be alone, like just the law of probability. Well, there's a certain level of narcissism to be like, we're the only planet. It, it feels yeah. like uh, it's the way around, you treat this planet. It is like, the way. we're the only ones we just take and consume and consume and consume. And it's, that's what's going to be the downfall of our civilization. And it's it's what I would consider bad religion is very narcissistic too. It's just yeah. like we're the center of the universe. Like I mean, remember you'd be killed if you said the earth revolved around the sun. Uh, you know, th- that speaks to the human narcissism that can be very helpful. I mean, if you want to erect a monument or get a civilization going, it can be helpful to have a slightly narcissistic mythology for a time. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. There's been some interesting articles about like, if you really want to change the world, you want large groups of people believing the same mythology, whether or not it's like flawed or whatever. But that's like what really can move things forward in big ways. I'm talking I mean, about we're, like, we're watching it happen right now. I mean, the, the, the Trumpism of it all mm. is, is crazy. And that's just a lot of people, you know, they've, the, the, there's a group of our, <laughs> there's a group in our country that all believes in, in certain things together. And they've collected those people and just said, Hey, let's all point our energy in one direction. And that's working. Whereas the the majority of us seem to be coherent and present and, and believe in democracy and want democracy to prevail. But our thoughts and ideas are a little bit more scattered. That's, that's and exactly what I'm saying. It's frightening. Even though in general, we have the same feelings about most of these things. Like we should all just, leave each other the fuck alone as long as we're not hurting anybody and let people believe and feel happy in their own way, in their own body and respect other human beings. Mm. And in turn that, you know, that comes from respecting yourself. And I think that's fundamentally a, a big flaw in the, in the other yeah. logic, which yeah, is yeah. that there isn't a self respect aspect of it. It's community. It's community identity. So you don't really have a who am I? It's a who are we? If we mm-hmm. succeed, I succeed. Right, um, right. And you and you think you're buying a ticket to the winning show, the big show. Yes, and it's and like who, we, yeah, like a golden man. You know what I mean? Like a golden man that's like Let's literally. I I know. I've I've had people in my family. I was talking to them about the COVID test, and they were like, "Everybody that takes that test is positive," and I was like, "I've taken that test twelve times for work." And I've always been negative. And the, the, what's, that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is the, the millisecond after I say that, they just completely move Rough past. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It really is what we do to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. I'm saying I lie to myself. We all do. It's part of being a human. You build a belief system and you can sort of have a difficult time listening to the other side. So we all do it. But when you see it happening in front of you, I also had a family member say, they I, I they had COVID and I was like, I think you have COVID. And they were like, no, I have diarrhea, I have a cough and I have a fever, but I don't have any COVID symptoms. That's a quote. And I was like, I don't know. 
Here's another I'm quote. A, I'm on a ventilator. I can't taste anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm shitting my pants wild. The doctors keep I saying. COVID. Yeah. yeah. And every doctor just says, sir, you have COVID. And yeah. I, but those aren't symptoms of COVID. I also remember the same person said to me, um, it doesn't make any sense. You can you can go to a liquor store, but you can't go to church. And I and I was I, it just drove me crazy for weeks after. I was like the way they moralize the issue. I was like, you could say you can go to the grocery store, but you can't go to a strip club. Like you could flip it, but you're seeing almost like Christopher Nolan memento style how we want a certain confirmation, and then you surround yourself with that confirmation regardless of any any fact any polar ice cap melting or any UFOs like that just doesn't fit in to so many of our worldviews. So of course, we're not going to read that. I know that's kind of a weird jump, but I'm just saying we have our reality and we're very protective of it. And then a group reality is very, is very uh, powerful. It can be, I mean, these are the Aztecs. These are the Egyptians. Like I I don't mean to put those groups down. I'm just saying these are unified they what? died. We are here forever. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Those civilizations <laughs> failed, and we obviously aren't. So funny. Um, I was just reading about, yeah. in the Bible, we always side with Jesus. We're never questioning, are we the Romans? Like, you're never going, like, are we the people killing the prophets? We always think we're the, we have, we have the hubris. We have the blind, narcissistic belief that we're the meek carpenter from from Nazareth. We're like, we're him, as we do not. You know what I'm saying? Like, we read history however we want, and we go like, of course, we're the good guys. We watch Star Wars, and we never go, wait, are we the Death Star? We never, ever question. Am I Gollum? I mean, that's the question. You should watch that movie and say, I'm Gollum. How do I become Frodo? That's that's what you should be saying. Sorry to keep harping on Lord of the Rings. No, I, I mean, I... I think you might be right. You might be Gollum. <laughs> I think you have a good point. <laughs> I'm going to resist doing the impression. Just, I'm not, I'm not do oh, no. Well, now you have to. You have an impression. Everybody can do Gollum. But for a long pearl, it's not a sun curl. So it's sort of so sweet. I do Gollum singing, which is which is the key. Turns out right. I'll want my ring. For us, it's my ring, precious. You got it. <laughs> it was a hard knock life, but I worked precious into it. So I feel pretty good today. It was great. I can hang up today as, as a win for my ego. Um, okay, UFO. You saw UFO. And then that's amazing. Uh, and then you almost died. Twice. I think Twice. the next time it happens, it's done. I think that's it. I think I've had my two. You're a third of a cat. <laughs> third time's a charm. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I uh, one time on my way to work while we were shooting Party Down, I had the misfortune of driving the speed limit, or maybe a little bit over. Don't tell the police. <laughs> and on the freeway, and on the other side of the the divider. Um, the car is going the other direction. There was a, there was a truck that hadn't properly, it was like one of those trucks that carries mirrors on its side. So it has like that kind of a frame shape kind yeah. of from the back. Cause it mm-hmm. holds um, glass or mirror like straight up uh, or, you know, a little tilted inwards towards its center. And, um, and a, a piece of that wasn't secured properly. And I saw in the air, what looked like a newspaper 
I have to assume that this is how it happened because I didn't see the truck. I'm just assuming yeah. that this is what it came off of because no, in no other world would this thing have flown off of just a car because um, it was too big. But a, a mirror, probably like a four by four foot mirror, flew into the air off a car going the other direction. And it looked like a piece of newspaper flying in the air. And then as I got closer, I realized what it was. And only then did I start to break. And it destroyed my front end. Whoa! Smashed, smashed my windshield. Had it hit me, had it hit me at a, had I been going a little bit faster, it could have cut my head off. I, it could have been a foot higher in the air when I hit it. Um, and it, the way, the angle at which it hit my, my front bumper, it cut through my license plate like a knife to butter like my aluminum license plate which granted isn't that strong but it just sliced right through that and then the whole thing shattered i would put my neck and a license plate you know what i mean like a license plate is more durable than a neck you know maybe a little bit yeah just a little bit (laughs) unless you're robocop (laughs) so i mean your point is valid is what i'm saying like sure it's not that hard to cut through a license plate but you are not a license plate this is a terrifying story it would have. I mean, getting to the bone, but still, like this thing is moving. At least, probably when I hit it, it's you know still even with you know air resistance and everything, it's probably going thirty, forty miles an hour, flying in the air. And then I'm going at least fifty five, sixty, even after I've slowed down to hit this thing. So it would have you know that force would have been wow far more than my body could have handled. Um, and at the right angle, it would have sliced through my windshield as opposed to just smashing it, which is what ended up happening. It, it hit my, it hit my bumper, then shattered onto my hood, the hood of my car, leaving all these dents and like massive, like, uh, cuts into the hood of my car. And then my windshield was completely shattered. It looked like a snowstorm the moment it hit my windshield, because if you're not familiar, um, with how, you know, that shatterproof glass works, it's two pieces of glass um, sandwiching a piece of plastic hmm. so that when it, when the whole thing, when something hits it, it doesn't break apart. It doesn't disassemble. All that shatter just sticks to this sheet of plastic basically. Mm-hmm. And so all these little shards of glass come off of, off of that as it breaks. And so it was just like completely white in my car as all these tiny little shards of glass were everywhere. On the inside, if I'm hearing you right, it, ba- it busted in on you. Yeah, it all came in on me on my lap. My uh, the passenger seat was covered in what looked like snow, but it was little pieces of glass. And then, and, and I like was in shock for a second, and realized I needed to. My car was now smoking almost immediately. It had it had uh, I think busted through and destroyed my my. Um, I don't know, some part of my engine, uh, my, my coolant system or something. And, uh, and, and then I looked over to my right cause I now couldn't see through my windshield. Um, and I needed, I knew I needed to get off for that reason, but I started to pull over to the right. I was a mile maybe from work. I started, I started to look over my right shoulder and I see two guys in a car, maybe 50 feet behind me. And I could just see them both mouth at the same time 
holy shit as they like watched this happen and i <laughs> and i was like oh this is way crazier that i'm really giving it credit because i was really just internalizing everything and i was just like i gotta get through this i have to figure out a way <laughs> like to not die on the freeway while cars around me are going 60 miles an hour and i can't see that well but somehow i drove all the way to work and um and our transpo department on party down was the best. I think it was our UPM who just took care of it. Like I went into work like frazzled and they were like, holy shit. Like what the fuck happened? Hmm. Uh, but I also had to go in and work and I went into work and I was like, let me know when the guys are here to deal with my windshield. Cause they were like, we'll call, we'll call a company to deal with your windshield. Cause I had no idea what to do. I'd never. And so there are these companies where you just, call them and they'll bring a new windshield out and replace it there um which didn't i didn't it didn't make sense to me that that was a thing but it's like oh of course of course that's a thing because once your windshield's broken you can't drive to a place to get a windshield but you Um, made it to work like you drove the smoking car yeah and what episode were you shooting do you remember i do not remember i just remember i think we were at the um oh what's it called uh the Veterans Hall. It's near Hollywood and Highland. It's near um, um, the Hollywood Bowl. Mm. Uh, the vet- I think it's called the Veterans Hall. Um, but it, it's uh, it's a place I've shot before. We sh- we I think they shot some at um, Freaks and Geeks there, and we had our rap party for Freaks and Geeks there. Oh wow! <laughs> so right. you were really coming to a this is your life sort of place and you're like did i die because <laughs> this is very very uh tour of my life here that yeah. is wild what, what uh, was what was the other one i can't believe we, you have two yeah this and they're equally as insane um the other one was i was at a, i was on a family trip um in florida where my dad and i had moved when i was 14 or 15 and then i moved back when I was 16, moved back to California to live with my mom. Um, but uh, later, years later, in my like mid 20s, I went back to visit him and uh, other family out there. And we all went on a sea do trip. Like we all jumped on um, little jet skis and, and rode around. Um, and there was the, the bay that we were on, the way it was shaped was there's like this little channel that leads out to the water. And then right maybe a hundred yards away from where that channel exits into the water, there's an Island that kind of covers your exit and entrance into this channel. So you, you like to really get out to the, to the water, to the Gulf of Mexico, you have to go around this little Island. And so we did that. We, we went around this, this Island, which takes 15, 20 minutes and you're just, you know, see doing around and um, <laughs> really given sea dues <laughs> a, 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 a commercial here. Um, not intentionally. It's just what I call them. But uh, so we were out there and then my cousin, Mike looks up in the sky and sees that there's a storm coming from the mainland towards us. Okay. So in order to get back in to safety and get back in through the channel and like, be safe and not get stuck in the storm. It was a pretty big storm coming. We would have to leave immediately to get back. And so as we're going back, as we're, we're driving our jet skis back, the swells of the ocean, like the storm really starts to come in. We left too late. And, and the swells are without exaggeration, 10 feet 
high. So wow. you would we would hit the top of a swell in your uh, on your jet ski, and then you would fall down the way that the water was moving. And the no wake signs and the general signs of um, for uh, aquatic you know vehicles and things all those signs disappeared under the water so these swells just like covered up all of that couldn't oh, see any God. of those signs so we didn't really know where we were going uh most of the time and the water was just hitting your face like completely um horizontal just beads of water hitting your face made it very difficult to drive and then uh and then my dad's uh sea got kelp stuck in the motor because we were running in shallow water and you couldn't really tell. Um, and so he got out, he like somehow made it to a, a somewhat safe area where he could stand in the water and the waves weren't so crazy. And we all just sat there and I was watching lightning strike, maybe a hundred yards away from us. Oh my God. Like <laughs> Massive, just like shoots of lightning. And I was like, this is how we're going to die. This is how we're all going to die. We're all just going to get struck by lightning any second. And my cousin, Mike, <laughs> didn't look back. He just like, he dipped out and he was gone. Um, <laughs> he dipped out. Now it's he, another verb. <laughs> he knew, he knew what, he knew what, like he, he knew best how we should have approached this. And so he just like, he hoped that we were all following him, but then this happened. And, and, um, and so I was watching my dad put his hand inside an engine to get kelp out of the back of this sea while I'm also watching giant, you know, lightning bolts strike the water not far from us. Um, and somehow we made it back. Like we just kind of kept trucking after that and made it back. But that was real intense. Did you go into like a high adrenaline slow motion sort of movie? Like if you were going to shoot this, would you do any of those effects to help us understand how you felt? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think weirdly I'm at peace with with death as crazy as this might um i i think i feel pretty good about the life that i've lived and you know granted i've made mistakes like anybody else but i think i've learned and grown from from uh from everything that's happened in my life and and i'm i feel okay if i were to die kind of and so 20 you're in your 20s yeah, I mean, I went skydiving pretty young, and I went um, bungee jumping as well pretty young. And I just remember everybody screamed, and I was at peace. Like, I think when it comes down to it, like, I still get a, my, my heart races, and I there's definitely adrenaline. But there's part of me that just, like, I just kind of click into awareness. Um, mm-hmm. And it's maybe as present as I ever am as in those moments. Um, well, I think you're in good company there. We we always talk about the guy that did the free solo. And I was like, well, he's meditating. Like th- those high adrenaline moments bring you into the intense capital eternal now, you know, and that's what makes them so fun. And that has to be what people are going after skydiving, bungee jumping. And yeah. if you're sort of familiar with that place, I'm not surprised that it's calming to you. So you're not screaming as you're bungee jumping. <laughs> No, yeah, I didn't have any of the experiences I've told you about. I didn't scream during, (laughs) (laughs) which is crazy looking back. There was no, in fact, most of the time I was probably perfectly quiet. Wow. 
so on brand. <laughs> I do. I have a brand. It's shutting up. I got it. <laughs> it's always a good move. Less is more. So even even skydiving. How old were you when you did that? Um, um uh, mid twenties. I did that with a couple friends and my buddy Ryan. As he jumped out, he just said. Uh, we were all flying tandem, so there's some dude's pelvis right in the back, in the middle of your back, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> nothing cooler than that. <laughs> um, that's me joking. That's called <laughs> anyway. So uh, Ryan jumped out first with a guy in his back, and and the uh, and just before he jumped out, he just looked at both of us uh, and he screamed. See you in hell. <laughs> and, then, and, then out of, and then fell out of the airplane. <laughs> and it was pretty much the most awesome way you could jump out of an airplane in front of your friends. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. I, I thought he was going to say, don't do it. You know, yeah, it's, don't do this. <laughs> do as I say, <laughs> not as I do. <laughs> that would be really funny too. <laughs> I know I've referenced it many times, but I think about it all the time. Dane Cook had a bit where he's like, I, I go to the airport and someone's reading the paper and I wait for them to notice me. They're waiting for their flight. And when they look at me, I whisper, don't get on the plane. And like I, what I like about jokes like that, first of all, I don't think it's true. But second of all, I think it's so funny that the human animal is sort of deep down. There's a lot of superstition that people latent superstition that if someone does go, it's on, it's in bridesmaids too. I had a dream. This plane crashed the woman next to Kristen Wiig, who's in Vista Del Mar, her writing partner. I forget her name. Forgive me. And she goes, you were in it. You were in the dream. <laughs> like, like those sorts of things are so freaky to us that, um, but there's, I feel like even if he had said, don't jump off the plane, you would have been like, how does he know? <laughs> I still would have done it, but but I mean, I also think those things are funny in story. They're funny in in um, narrative, but in real life, and it's part of like what I really dislike about the way I think you know this new. I think there's a trend in comedy, and I would put that in quotes if you could see me. But um, I don't because I don't think it's funny when people just fuck with other people like oh, there's sure. kids who are like blowing on people's ears and then like pretending it's not them and like what's happening or like throwing something up in the air that hits somebody and then they like pretend that like someone in another aisle is throwing candy at them or something and it's just not you couldn't be in better company yeah, I, I just don't. I don't find it. I, I think it's lazy. I think it's it's lazy. Well, it's mean. It's very mean spirited as is, well, and it's also mean spirited. But like, you could do better than that for sure. You can you can you can do better. That's not performance art. Is tricking people. That's your you're a you're snake doing, oil salesman. You're doing a bit you're, of them. You're a douche. I have a bit about yeah. this where it's about how oh, people you make fun of me for being gullible, and I'm like, I don't understand. Somebody, this was real. They said I'm adopted. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. And they said, psych, you're so gullible. And I was like, how does this work? You lie to me. I believe you. I'm the asshole. That was the bit. But I've never, my whole life, reality is so confusing and overwhelming to just have these mischievous, I don't even like giving it the word mischief. Mischief sounds like fun. Yeah. Just like assholes going it's around. Like, and, yeah. 
Yeah. I, yeah, that's why I pointed out. I don't think Dane's bit is, is true, but there are people that do those things for real. And I've always hated that horrible feeling. The, the putting your hand in warm water at the sleepover. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you trying? You're trying to get someone to pee their pants? Like, this is your entertainment? It's like Lord of the Flies. We we should be helping each other. Yeah. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> Don't make me pee my pants. It's very, like, mean girls. I know. I, and it's, oftentimes it's boys, I think, <laughs> that are making these videos. So it's very mean boys. It I is. Just, coin a new phrase here. <laughs> mean boys, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. So you've always... Do you remember achieving an equanimity with death? I mean, that seems pretty exceptional. Mm-hmm. I remember it. Uh, I cried for two weeks. I was 15. Yeah, just I think I was close to turning 16. And I cried for two weeks <clears throat> when I realized just for my own, like I had just an awareness, um, a new awareness that when we, when we die, it's really quite final that all of these, um, you know, estimations or, you know, um, uh, stories, fantasies about, um, and any afterlife is while some of it might be, uh, valuable to the psyche. I, for myself recognize that it wasn't true that in while energy may, continue on and this is my own belief you're welcome to believe uh, uh, whatever whatever you want but this is when i feel like i came to terms with death was recognizing for myself that when when i die that's it like a like a plant that dies in the you know at the front yard of the you know where i grew up that was it that's the last time you saw that plant and that what? that was it that that plant was dead and the seeds that fell from it would carry on and create new life. And that Mm. is to me, the energy of that plant continuing on Mm. the strawberry that it dropped the year before may re-sprout and find, you know, those seeds may grow a new strawberry plant that you'll see in the coming years. But that initial plant is gone. And, and that was valuable for me. What triggered that? I I, I was just curious. It's a very noteworthy time of your life. Two weeks of, of mourning, was it yeah. triggered by something? I think part of it, I think I had a general sadness when I moved back. I really missed my dad in Florida. Um, and I, and I know that there were, there was, I cried quite a bit kind of just missing having my dad around. Um, mm. he was just, you know, my best bud and, um, not to play therapist, but that's kind of a death, you know, it, there, there was this person yeah. in life and now yeah. it's a change. Death is yeah. a change and this is a change. Yes. And that is true. That that was a big change. That was the, the death of a relationship that I had known in the way that I had known it prior for most of my life. He just wasn't there. And it was really difficult for me to cope with. Um, and I And that probably somehow triggered it. But I just remember falling asleep um, every night crying thinking about this, thinking about this revelation that I had had about death. Um, mm. And I think prior to that, I had, I had cried going to sleep because um, I missed my dad. It's funny. Man, for, that's not funny. Uh, I, I That's very sad. But it's funny that this happened at 15. 
we talk about male initiation sometimes on the show. It comes up. I'm going to say something stupid, but in the movie Finding Nemo, when Nemo leaves the ocean and he's in the tank with these other fish and he's he's becoming he's he's going on his own journey, his little hero's journey. They do a, an initiation rite, and what do they, they rename him? Which is one of the big things of initiation. And they name him. It's one of the weird kind of dark Disney things. They rename him Sharkbait. And what? why name Nemo Sharkbait? It's because he has to own his mortality. I know it sounds like maybe I'm grasping at straws, but I'm like, that to me shows that around this age, especially for men, because uh, people have heard me say this before, but menstruation uh, does some of the work for women. I, I won't say all of the work, but men need... Or, or some people believe that men need a, a certain type of humiliation, meaning a humbling, meaning a, a recognition of your death, meaning a recognition that you're not all powerful and eternal. And you you had that happen right around the time that some tribes and some cultures would have done it to little Martin for his good. And then cut to you not screaming as you're bungee jumping and people would be like, yeah, he was initiated. He He understands his impermanence and he understands that the plant is gone, <laughs> you know, like it, it seems very, uh, you did it to yourself. It happened to you. It was like this sort of morbid or maybe dark gift. Does that make any sense to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like it was a gift. Uh, looking back at the time, I, you know, a lot of difficult journeys are hard in the moment, but proved to be so immensely valuable later in life. Yeah. That's the Joseph Campbell quote. He says, the, the, the treasure you seek is in the cave you fear to go. And like so many of us, I, obviously this isn't new ground, we're in denial of death. And I myself, uh, like you, have found a lot of value. And, and we're getting to Buddhism a little early, but this is Siddhartha leaving the temple and he sees the old person, then he sees the dying person, you know, sees the sick person. And he was basically a good metaphor or maybe literally true, I'm not sure, but a good metaphor for the psyche. You're in the palace, you're with your parents, you have everything you want. But then something starts to wake you up. And what wakes you up is the idea that everything is impermanent, that everything is on fire, that the cup is already broken, the plant is already dead, Martin is already dead. I think you and I might be some of the weird people in the world that I never feel more alive, and I try to do it every episode, than when I remind the guests that we're going to die, that, that we're floating in infinity, and we're only here for a little time. But I can feel it bring the air to the skin on my arms. You know, it kind of brings me into my body and it doesn't seem like a flaw in the system. Um, somebody mentioned, oh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was Jason Siegel, I think. Was it? Yeah, Neil deGrasse, he mentions Neil deGrasse Tyson as like, I feasted on the fauna of this earth and it only seems appropriate that when I die, I will become the fauna for the earth to feast on. And he sort of had this idea of a cyclical, but that's, that's somebody that's dropped the narcissistic trip of like, how can Martin not be, you know what I mean? But an awareness of, of a bigger picture that you're not the center of the universe, that you're, that you are the universe and you're just mm -hmm. playing the part of a part of the universe. And when Martin goes, life continues, this conti energy continues, mm -hmm. but the, the, I grew up in the Christian tradition I now sort of see it a little bit of an ego trip to be like, and Pete goes to the afterlife and Pete gets 
he does he performs in a comedy club and every joke kills you know that's pretty much what i would have believed but i was denying myself some of the ramdas says this he's like when you make peace with death you free up all this energy that you were previously using to deny death and and then you're you can use that energy to actually enjoy life it's also yeah. in, in taoism he who finds his way in the morning can gladly go in the evening. And I think that might be the point of life is to kind of figure out how to balance. We're alive, but we won't always be instead of doing what so many people do, which is like, I'm just not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. Oh, everybody that takes that COVID test is, is positive. I'm not going to think about, you know, like I'm, I'm fine. This legacy will continue waving its flag forever. It's with, it's that way with, all fears really and most fear breaks down to death um that's why uh, you know like stage fright once you recognize that it's okay because i i had pretty severe stage fright for a bit and i would uh perform with a bluegrass band and i would rap and um <laughs> while while we performed i would so always... many things rhyme with corn husk that's cheating <laughs> Uh, yes, we were the corn. How'd you know we were the corn huskers? Um, <laughs> Forgive me we, for interrupting with my bad. We, uh, we uh, every time we perform, I'd be afraid that I'd forget some part of you know the the words that I'd written and uh, you know my um, contribution to this group. And I once you know, I mean, I still struggle with it. But when I acknowledge that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That 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 it that the world isn't going to end if I make a mistake here, and the audience won't even be that upset about it. <laughs> like okay. it's happened, and we've restarted a song before, um, and it just it isn't that it isn't as bad as you imagine it is, and it's the same with death. Like death isn't a terrible thing. It's um, it's actually the most at peace you'll ever be. <laughs> like when <laughs> when that occurs and i don't mean that in some sort of like um you know suicidal kind of manner i just what i just mean by that is accepting it as part of the journey i think you're totally right allows you to enjoy the rest of the journey because mm-hmm. you aren't focused on this terrible ending to a life that otherwise is great it's the worry about a terrible ending and your depiction of it as terrible that actually makes the journey less enjoyable That's right. and the experience less enjoyable. And so you can be more present and happy in a, uh, in a life well lived if, if you're not fearing the inevitable. And if you're aware of the inevitable, and we've said this on the show before, I don't know if ice cream would taste good if you knew you were eternal. I, I think it's the engine behind all of it. A good moment is imbued with more richness because you know that this is fleeting I think that actually can make it technicolor, not in a dark, yeah, I'm, I'm eating ice cream now, but I'm dead later, but in like a, holy shit, this is what's happening now, and you appreciate it. This is the last, I love frozen grapes, um, and like the last frozen grape, I savor a little bit more at yeah. the end of the bag, and, and that's, I, I feel like that speaks a little bit to your point. That's exactly my point. And if you just had an infinite bag of grapes, I don't think you'd give a shit about grapes. I think I, what I'm saying, I think we're saying the same thing is it's not a flaw in the system. I might have more of a dynamic. Oh, this is this is for us. Like the universe is for us. 
and there's like a consciousness behind it. That might that might be somewhere we differ. I'm not sure, but I don't think it's a flaw that we're not just like eternally orgasming. I also don't think the point of life is to eternally orgasm. You mentioned mistakes that you've made. I I've also made mistakes. I've had heartbreaks. I've had depressions. I've had times where I was drinking too much and all these like weird things, right? And that was where that was the cave I didn't want to go into. That's where these unlikely treasures were found in in humiliation, in being broken, in being uh, afraid or in being sad. Like you're talking about these two weeks, but that was like that's like a transformative experience in your life. Two weeks of mourning, and yeah. then how how many years? I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty sweet achievement. Yeah, I, th- I think I was somewhat lucky to to go through that experience early, somewhat early in in life, so that I could, I think, help understand something that you know perhaps you never fully understand, but it it gave me um gave me insight and, and a window through which to see something that I perhaps would have avoided for a lot longer. Mm, that's really interesting. I wonder if you'll think this is funny. I've, I've, I haven't, I've done it on stage once, but it's a little too dark. I, I don't know. That might be the problem. But the bit goes like this. It's very short. I go, you're afraid to die? You're afraid to die. My Nana died. She couldn't even speak English. You can't do what my Nana did? Like, it's this idea that no matter how frail or old or, like, basically weak you are they have to do everybody die everybody dies think about any historical figure they did it you're in great company you're doing something that literally everyone does and you're so scared that's why i try to bring it into my nana um you didn't laugh which is fine but sorry sorry about your nana well i just felt bad about your nana (laughs) i didn't really have anybody i called a nana all my grandparents died uh it's it's a fake nana but but oh, that wow. I so you lied to me and she died. I'm just I, I don't know how to feel anymore. <laughs> but I actually take comfort in that. I was like everybody, everybody does it, so it's it's okay. Like it's not just you. Oh, why does Martin have to die? Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> everybody's doing it. Come on, everybody's doing it. Let's go. Everybody's doing it. I mean, it, 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 it gives me a little bit of comfort to talk about that everybody does it. Yeah. The most, I don't know, the biggest cowards in the world, they also, they traversed that huge leap. And like, you, you can find a little bit more brave, bravery than the biggest coward in the world. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe I'm talking my, out my ass. Um, I was curious, watching your Freaky Geeky audition, did that kid... No, he wanted to be an actor. How old were you when you auditioned for Freaky? I I I grew up in L.A. and my mom is an actress, and I I think um, finding uh, finding an acting class that I went to in Culver City, um, uh, uh, led by Kevin McDermott. Uh, it was called Center Stage L.A. I I that's where I really found my um, drive and passion for um, for, for acting. And, and that was like, it was improv and character, um, um, character development and scene study. And it just kind of covered the gamut. And, and especially with improv, I really enjoyed comedy and drama, just 
connecting the the connection part of it is just so fun like finding something in a relationship in a moment that's just honest and real and and putting yourself in a in a it was therapy for me it was it was just pure therapy and, and that's when i knew i wanted to do this but i don't think and i i don't think that then or now do i have any sort of expectation the 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 only goals that i generally have are not business oriented they're creatively motivated and it's mostly to do things i haven't done before i enjoy um i enjoyed you know reaching outside my comfort zone to to find new therapy which mm. is always kind of what improv was is when you really let yourself go and you're just free falling you find something unique hmm. that that's the most enjoyable uh experiment in life for me it's funny that you, I, it's again it's not funny but connection i was somebody is i was listening to a podcast it was on being Krista Tippett's podcast, and somebody was talking about how isolation is worse than heart disease. It's worse than smoking. It's worse than drinking. It's worse than obesity. It's as as a killer. Like literally, when we talk about the universe as as one thing, I, I like to really try and think of as this as as one thing. I, I say it almost every episode, but Alan Watts said, you didn't come into the world, you came out of the world, kind of like those strawberries you were saying, meaning you didn't like put a quarter in the machine and like show up in the video game. Like you are a product of an undulating creation. And uh, what was I saying? Oh, so like finding relationship is like one of the most healthy things we can do. And I find acting, I, I've heard you talk about being on the set, being on the Silicon Valley set, being on, I have to think party down was the same, like just like a, like a, a group, like some friends, and you share a passion. And then I don't, I, this is a leading question, but like, I have to think you achieve a certain degree of presence playing a scene over and over and really almost holding your breath, looking at your partner, your scene partner to see if there's something new they're giving you to respond to is like bungee jumping is like meditating is something that hacks us into again the eternal now is it do you feel that way um yes <laughs> what if you were like no uh, it, it's uh, <laughs> it's yeah, i mean sure if that's what you want to believe dude um i think i think the 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 best set i've yet to, the, the best experience working i've had and, and freaks and geeks was amazing and that really set the bar very high um, in so many ways, but there was a collaborative nature to party down that really broke down a lot of the kind of negative tropes in comedy, the, the competition and the, you know, I think stand up is a, um, is a where a lot feast. of, a lot, <laughs> well, it's, I think it's where a lot of the negative aspects of comedy really thrive. Cause, because there is a lot of ego and it is about individual. It isn't about group success and, and with improv, it is very much you succeed on the other on the shoulders of your fellow improvisers. Period. If, yeah. if you cannot succeed without them, so thinking that you are better than is only going to cause you all to fail. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, party down. Uh, we had so much fun, and there was so much uh, 
there was such a wonderful nature of contribution and growth in what we were doing that everything we stepped into, every scene, every episode, every moment, we just wanted to make it better. And, uh, and everyone is so talented in that group that it was just, you didn't want to leave set. Like you'd stop working and you just stick around because that was the most fun place. Even if you're just like, Hey, what if you did this? Like, this is a, I just had a funny idea. I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll mean something to you. Maybe it won't, mm-hmm. but, but to have geniuses, um, working around you, throwing out little tidbits that you get to now play with, whether it's a direct, you know, action or moment or dialogue for you, or if it's just something they're doing that you get to witness. Uh, it's such a fun, that was, that was one of the best, you know, sets that I've ever been on. And, and Silicon Valley was also incredible. I mean, I mean that, that group of, 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 uh, men and women are, are so talented. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not surprised that you had that level of rapport. A friend of mine writes on Ted Lasso and she was telling me that like, it's the only staff um, that when they're done, they just keep hanging out. And I was like, well, you can tell you watch that show and you're like, there's a, there's a homey warmth to it where you say your, your goals aren't financially driven. I mean, this is a post-it on my computer. It says, because joy matters. I'm trying to make choices that are for joy, my joy, for other people's joy, and not just, almost every time I pitch something, I say, like, I don't want to make this just because it's something we can make. I want to make it because it's something I have to make. Like, it's literally getting me out of bed. Like, I really want to see this through and do it. But, like, you can feel that. Um, I, I watched more of Party Down than I did of Silicon but it was like in that show, it felt like a team. It felt like a bunch of people making the other people look really good. And we all know each one of you, when you're let off the leash, you know, I, I'm thinking of Jane Lynch in uh, Knocked Up, for example. You can you can let Jane Lynch off the leash and just not the leash. You know what I'm saying? You can let her go wild. In 40-Year-Old Virgin, you mean? I'm sorry, she's, 40 year old yeah, version. She's so great in that. She's so funny. So these are real annihilators. These are real, like, flamethrower, take down the whole field of corn kind of people. And there they are, making Adam Scott look good as they're smoking pot and, like, picking their moments. So that really showed in that show and is a really important show for people like me that moved to LA and, like, wanted to know what the hustle was like. Did, did you feel that it? spoke to your experience. I, I, you're, we, you've mentioned the word drive a couple times. It's very interesting to me how you navigated show business in these early stages of your career and trying to balance on a ski do I'm okay to die with this business that can be very aggressive. Like what, what, what in that area interests you? Uh, I mean, I think the business dis- is disappointing <laughs> as a whole. I think just cause it's not, it's not my thing. I think I've, I've put that from the beginning. I decided that wasn't going to be a focal point. And I think I've gotten better at acknowledging it and embracing it as part of this journey. But uh, it'll always be the the least important aspect of this to me. Um, and when you, you say ask, that, you, you don't just mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, you had asked something earlier. And I, I when when I was given the script for Party Down, it said a Martin star type, which didn't make sense to me either in the way that I read it. And maybe I just read that part differently than 
than they had because I hadn't done a, a part like that before. Mm. Like that wasn't a type of character. That wasn't a, an archetype that I had in any way stepped foot into. And so, um, you know, to that was so fun for me. But that was, I, I guess I had achieved something at that point that people were like, I, this is the guy I want to be in this thing. Mm. But, but we don't think we can get him. Like that was the that was their attitude, I, I guess, because they never reached out to me. And my agent was like, hey, I read the script and it says your name in it. Um, but they <laughs> didn't reach out. And so uh, do you like it? We're going to should we pursue this? And uh, and I read it and I was like, yeah, this is great. And Lizzie was already attached. And um, I think I, I knew Adam a little bit. Um, but obviously that cast was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so funny. Usually you've heard this that if it says a Pete Holmes type and I read for it, you don't get it. I mean, that's the cliche I've heard is like, they think they want you, but then when they see you do it. So the fact that you got it still speaks is still a, is still a great thing because it's not a guarantee. Yeah. I I don't think I had auditioned then, but yes, I, I, if, if they had let me audition, I would have convinced them otherwise. Luckily, (laughs) luckily they went on blind faith and they just hired me. Uh, lucky for me. Um, but But you know, Oh, go ahead. No, it's, 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 it's fortunate because it was, for me, it was getting to work with so many incredibly talented people in, in every department, but also to get to do something that I hadn't really done before and explore a new world and explore a new character. Um, that was really fun. What were you going to say? Uh, I was going to, I was just, I'm afraid maybe you've gotten this before. It is interesting that freaks and geeks and party down to me, the way that I consumed them was all after the fact, like it was like uh, party down got like a, a wider release or I got on DVD or something. So you have these shows that sort of like, I, I don't, I can't speak to their popularity when they were on the air, but they definitely got more popular years later so is that is that true i mean did you see like an unfolding like hey you're the guy from freaks and geeks even though it was 10 years later yeah i mean party um freaks and geeks had it took a little while but we i I think judd and paul knew how to cultivate the fan base to like keep keep them energized because they really tried to rally to get the show on for another season or two um you know, after we had been canceled and, uh, and there were a lot of fans out there Mm -hmm. that were even willing to like drive to Los Angeles for, you know, to meet us and hang out. And we did that, I think five years later or 10 years later. And, and I didn't realize the kind of popularity that we had, but we did. Um, I think we went from NBC to like ABC family or something, and then to Netflix. And we've kind of bounced around, and so new a new audience is found each time mm-hmm. um and and you know they get um they put a little some sort of advertising behind it and when the dvds came out that was another resurgence but there are these like reminders where people go oh that's right this show was great i'm gonna watch it again and i'll pass it on to someone else so that the the appreciation for it just spreads um but most of all i just feel really fortunate to have been a part of things like like Freaks and Geeks and, and Party Down that are looking back still highly regarded and still yeah. really appreciated by by viewers because they because yeah. they connect with it. I think the, the the heart that went into making it is felt through every frame of 
of each of those shows. Um, and you know, you know, even though there's a lot of like heart wrenching, difficult stories to watch in both of them, um, they're like, they're so real and authentic and, and human. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. I really related to where the best comedy comes from. Totally. Well, Lizzie's character in a marriage that she like shouldn't be in, like she got married too young. I was watching that when I was married too young. It's like almost like hard to look at, but it was so good. And now when I watch it later, it's even richer to me. Would you tell me a little bit about that iconic scene? I always think that you acted out Judd's life, knowing Judd, I, I, uh, that he would come home, make a grilled cheese, watch TV yeah. And the I think the earmark of of Judd as a person, this is Judd Hirsch, of course, um, yes. Judd Apatow, um, is that comparable Judd Hirsch <laughs> that he's a um, that he's a fan of comedy. Like yeah. still, I I've tried to talk shit with Judd a million times, and I, so I'd start with some show that I really didn't like, and I I just want to shit on it, and he'd always be like. I liked it. That was good. Like he'd always see what was good about it because he still kind of is that kid. So would you tell me a little bit about the day that you shot that scene? I mean, you're laughing. For those of you that don't know, it's a scene in Freaks and Geeks where your character comes home alone, makes a grilled cheese and then watches Gary Shandling on TV and you're dying laughing. You can't watch it without dying laughing because your laughter is so contagious. But I'm like, I've been on those sets where you have to cry a fake laugh seems just as hard to me to do it that convincingly. I mean, I, I I like to think that I was in touch enough to, to be able to do that if I had had to without the um, help that they gave me. I, I, unfortunately I forget his name, but one of the writers Judd had come in and just do all of his dirtiest jokes. So it wasn't even, <laughs> I think, I think some of Gary Shandling stuff, they had played a little bit to me, but it wasn't, it didn't strike a chord with me the way that just some guy off camera screaming profanities to a 15 year old kid worked <laughs> so well. And it was just a lot of like the grossest, like if, if there was a recording, which I guess there probably is. Were, I'm sure they were recording audio. Uh, so, you know, uh, he was just off camera, just shouting the dirtiest jokes and that was it. And, and, and I certainly leaned into it, but I do remember it it being an easy day to go to work because all I had to do was laugh when I wanted to laugh. But it's so, I thought was funny. Have you watched, have you watched it as a grown up? It's so good. I don't watch a lot of, uh, I don't watch it. I don't really care. It doesn't really, it it doesn't, even now, it's not the most valuable thing I can do with my time is watch something that I'm in. That said, I think as a, as a whole, I do appreciate a lot of those things and I've gotten a lot better at not, um, being so critical of, of myself, Mm. but nothing's ever perfect. And I'm, I've grown to be more and more okay with that. But it is kind of a hard thing because I, uh, there is, um, you know, there's a sense of finality in something that, as a, as a, as an artist, is ever growing. Yeah. So something, so something that I watched then is like, oh, that's how I would have done that then, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. But I I'm think, a different person and a different artist now. 
I think what makes it different and what made me ask is because you're so young, it's, it is a different person. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you could watch it so impartially because it's, it's like, it's like home video footage. It happened to be on TV, but it looks like this snapshot of this really great day in your youth. (laughs) I think that's what made me think. I don't normally ask people if they watch their own stuff, but that scene in particular uh, is special to me. Let's let's get to the, the the Buddhism of it all, just because I love talking about that stuff, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, how did you come across uh, Buddhism? I was raised I was raised Buddhist. Oh wow! My parents, yeah, both my parents uh, chose to get into Buddhism and found Buddhism before I was. How did they I was born? Uh, well, it was in. In Los Angeles, they both lived in Los Angeles, and in in Los Angeles, it was especially prevalent, and uh, you could also say aggressive in the in the manner in which they proselytized. I think every religion was pretty aggressive, and a lot of them still are pretty aggressive. But um, you know, they would uh, uh, not just just um, just like aggressively getting people there just like hey like talking to to people on the street outside of a 7-eleven getting getting as many people connected with this thing and it was for the right reasons but they would it would i've heard stories about like in the 80s how they would pull up in a minivan and like you know they would just come and get you like not they wouldn't kidnap you but they would like come to your house like before the meeting that they had told you about and they would just kind of make sure that you went if you wanted to go. Wow. Um, and they would come and be like, so you was, you wanted to go to this meeting? Like, this is for your own, you know, well-being and, and your own happiness. Like, if, if there's something you care about, you can just come with us. Like, we've got a van outside now. <laughs> and they wow. Would, okay. Okay. Uh, I'll go. I'll go to the meeting. And Whoa. I'm like, fill up the van on their way to the meeting. Um so I don't know if those are stories that actually relate to my parents and how they – found it but um they got very into it and they you know they were both um i i my parents divorced when i was four um but they were both still very heavy into buddhism throughout my childhood so they were both just practicing in different homes and it was the one constant no matter where i was you know staying whether i was at my mom's or my dad's and you know that was a big part of both of their lives Hmm. Um, and so Buddhism became the, the, um, you know, that was the tie that bound those two people in my life in a, in a big way. And it was a great through line to have for a young kid. Um, the philosophy behind Buddhism is very, it's a, it's attuned to a lot of other religions. I think there's a lot of similarity to most religion. Um, it's just the way that things have shifted over time and the way that people have manipulated those uh, philosophies for that's their very, own benefit. It's very beautifully um, put. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and it is a powerful message. Often the cliched couple divorces, one of them is going to abandon the faith that the family had or the practice right. that the family had. But the fact that your parents both continued their their path or whatever you want to say had to have a profound effect on you. Like, oh, it's not just a clan identity. It's not just a tribal, uh, it's not a flag we fly on our house. So, you know, what holidays we celebrate, it was something that actually was benefiting them. That's powerful. I mean, especially through a divorce, when do you need to meditate more or, or like a self emptying? 
or when you need to lean into life is suffering. I know that's misinterpreted, but life is desire and to, to learn non-resistance and to go with the flow when your family's falling apart. That's when a philosophy like Buddhism, Christianity, I remember somebody in my church when I got divorced, um, he, he said to me, it was actually quite beautiful. He was like, we're not good with pain. <laughs> he just said it to me. He was like, he, he was sort of apologizing. But other practices, Buddhism in particular, seems to have like a this to-ness to it. Like this is happening. This is what's happening. And I need to flow with it. So that, that had to be really beautiful. Did you go to temple? Did you go to like group meditations? Or was it like a, a, a localized in the home sort of thing? Uh, both. Uh, we do district meetings, which were in someone's home usually. Um, and then once a year, maybe you'd have like a bigger, uh, a, a bigger meeting with kind of a, a much larger group. But there were also just other kinds of meetings that happened at the local community centers, um, depending on where we lived at that time. And, and as they developed new ones, uh, did they one have on, a, Oh, sorry. Uh, Please, I think I... there's one, one on Fairfax and Olympic now um called the friendship center um and that was kind of newer in in uh like that happened uh, when i was like 16 15 16 maybe did they have a specific teacher or i don't want to say a guru but did they have a, a lineage that they were a part of yeah i mean it, it's um so it's uh soka gakai which means value creation um society and it's um uh this the sgi which was formerly part of a priesthood known as uh, the nitrin shoshu of america nsa they we kind of split off the sgi split off because there was a pretty severe differentiation in um philosophy in 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 thought in connection to the the buddhist teachings themselves which in the priesthood their specific, um, uh, uh, they, they chose to acknowledge the priest as more powerful than the lay um, uh, practitioners. Mm. And uh, Soka Gakkai, in, uh, the growing up in the SGI, there was a very profound awareness that we're all equal mm. um, and, and that we're all capable of uh, achieving um, Buddhahood in this lifetime, which mm -hmm. there are a lot of different um, sects of Buddhism because Shakyamuni Buddha traveled the world and shared his teachings as he went. His teachings grew as he got older and more so they grew as people's awareness grew because there was a time where the value of human life was very different. And specifically between men and women, as as an example, that wasn't an equal that that was commonly accepted uh, and inaccurately accepted as the the obviously uh, as as one being valued over the other. And in a society where there's that big a jump between men and women, how can you really teach that all people everywhere on this planet are all capable of of such great things? Um, such positive things. And so as he, you know, his teachings um, grew his philosophy. So he couldn't start at where he finished. He had to slowly teach people 
the direction that he was heading so they could get on board. Mm. Um, otherwise, he would have been, you know, in the Salem witch trials, but in a <laughs> different version of them um, for having such extreme theories about life. Um, and so the the Lotus Sutra, which is, I think, the second to last or the last sutra that he wrote, that is what um, uh, the SGI, that's what the foundation of the uh, Buddhism that I grew up in, uh, that's what it's kind of founded in, is that book. Cool. Um, I love yeah. this. I love those sutra stories. I wonder if you have any. I There was some monk that read the Diamond Sutra. It didn't make any sense. And then he went to see this teacher who was going to teach it to him. And he turned off all the lights. And as he lit a candle, it's one of those spontaneous enlightenment stories where he, he became enlightened. And then he went out. He'd spent his entire life writing about the Diamond Sutra. And he went to the street and he burned all his writings. I just I, I love those stories because there's something familiar. It sounds like your piece with death. There's something about like, what am I doing putting up fence posts and critiques and commentaries when it's as simple and as natural as a candle flame? You're in light, it's your Buddha nature. It's who you are. It's being veiled. But when you whether or not that story is literally true, I find it to be a powerful metaphor that it couldn't be any closer. You know, there are all those stories that you're you're begging for change, but you're sitting on a box and the box is filled with gold. Like, I love those little things, but those are the ones I know. Are there any stories that kind of lit you up about Buddhism or that, that come to mind? Um, I Honestly, uh, it's been so long since I've really dug into it. I, I, I haven't practiced as much um, in the last few years um but i it's i think i have the great fortune of growing up in it and so it'll always it's always a part of my philosophy and the way that i think and the way that i grow and it's always a foundational aspect of who i am Hmm. which i I feel so fortunate in um because the i was always encouraged to to make it my own which i don't think is a, a general vibe of religion religion is very get on board with what we're teaching this is what's real that's all bullshit now um and and in buddhism you know one of one of the things that they teach is um reincarnation and it never made sense to me and it still doesn't it makes sense to me in a in a new way now it it like there there are aspects of it that i can um hold on to but as a whole it isn't the way that it's described and it was described in my development um, when I was younger, reading about these things and going to study meetings and talking to people. I was never pushed into believing something that didn't make sense to me. I was always, I was always urged to just keep asking questions Mm. and, and seeking what made sense to me. And I, and I love, so deeply that that I was given that opportunity to, to figure it out for myself, and it doesn't make sense to me. I'm I'm okay. I'm still Buddhist, um, and I and I you know at, at my core, and I don't believe I don't thoroughly believe in the incarnation the way that it's described um, through Buddhism as mm. I'm aware of it. Mm. I you reminded me of another one, uh, which is. I think it applies to what you're saying. I'm not just throwing out a random thing, 
but the the great sermon that Buddha gave was holding up a flower. And that sounds very similar to the free-range Buddhism that you were given, which I think is so beautiful. I kind of think that's the only way to do it, mm-hmm. is to respect your awareness, your, I would say, God-given divine spark or whatever, but your own authority for your own experience and your own conversion or whatever you want to call it. But holding up a flower, I'm like, that's a sermon. And, and the story goes, only one of the monks started weeping and understood what he was saying. But in my, you know, what I can tell is he's holding up a flower and saying that anything exists, that a flower exists is an insane mystery. And that is the unknowing that we should dwell in, that we should be trying to unlearn uh, and, and get into that more, the beginner's mind, that place of, I don't have, this is right and this is bullshit, but be perpetually in the flow of wonder and awe. And, and I'm just going to say unknowing again. I don't have a synonym for unknowing. But I think that's that's where that's where the the mystery can touch you. It's harder when you say the mystery has to look like this for it to get to you. Wouldn't you agree if you say, well, I was told it's reincarnation. That doesn't feel right to me, but I'm going to hold on to it. But when you can stand before it sort of naked, as it were, I feel like it has a better chance of latching on to you and, and working with you. Mm-hmm. Is is meditation a part of your practice? Yeah, I, I grew up um, chanting Namyoho Rengekyo. And if you've ever seen um, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, the Tina Tina Turner uh, movie. I haven't, I haven't. Um, it's about it, 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 uh, Buddhism and the specific um, sect of Buddhism that I was raised in is a part of that. She practices the same um, form of Buddhism. And, and so it's, it's actually kind of like a weird little beginner's course on Buddhism <laughs> watching that movie. Um, but it, you know, Buddhism and chanting um, and the people that she found through Buddhism helped give her strength to leave Ike, to be, to, to see her own, potential. And, and I'm not trying to speak for, for Tina Turner in any way. I'm just reciting what I watched in that movie. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, I think something that's missing in general, especially in our culture now is, um, true strength and courage of, of the, of an, of the individual and the growth of the individual. Um, this like, you know, group identity is uh is i think really sweeping and it's um the the tribal brain is not the is not us at our at our greatest potential yeah um, in most cases yeah no and, and empowerment and or you could say liberation too tina turner again I, I, we're just playing with an idea realizing that she is this connected to the same source of life and that's her true power and everything else, a marriage, a job, a society, a country, a planet, these are all stories. And that, that's, that's where I, I could see somebody learning, Hey, I don't have to stay in an abusive relationship because I, I can now love myself in a new way Yeah, as a piece of it all. 
It's it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I I, I think um, of what I know of other religions, which I don't know much. I haven't read the Bible. I, I know tiny pieces of uh, Taoism and and um, but I you know Catholicism, Christianity, uh, Judaism. I'm I'm not terribly familiar with, but it it does. I, I do feel lucky the more I hear stories of people's experiences in other religions of, of, about how free um, and, and uh, uncontrolled, un, un, um, uh, uh, uncaged the philosophy is in Buddhism and how free you really are to explore. Because that isn't always that doesn't feel like it's always the case, unfortunately. And, um, and there still is the depth of history. It's not like a, someone just one day woke up and was like, here's an idea. We're just going to be free. Like there, there is, um, a wealth of, of, uh, information to back up the value of, of, of this way of thinking and this philosophy. It, it isn't, uh, um, and it is, and it is very parallel to so many other religions in theory, in in its in its foundation. No, nothing um, excites me more when I find Jesus saying something Buddha said, or or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I was raised to think, oh, we have the market cornered, and and I to address what you're saying. When you're in a religion, it's really hard to be free. But in my experience, when you break out of a religion, and then you realize again, Joseph Campbell says. You should uh, study other religions because then it'll help you see your own religion uh, with new eyes. Like you'll actually yeah. be, you'll get a crack at actually understanding your own faith. And in my experience, it was important to leave the church to be able to actually find the value in it. But um, because that's where you get out of the tribalism and the, and the and the identity building aspect of religion, which is kind of the first step in the door, is like, hey, we'll help tell you who you are, yeah. but. But just like a candle being lit and you burning all of your writings, it ends up being way freakier and spacious and actually kind of exhilarating. I was going to say scary, but it can be very exhilarating to taste the void or the one or whatever you want to say. Have you had experience or taste the rainbow, which is a sponsor? Go to Skittles.com slash weird. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) Have you had any trippy experiences at meditating? Have you ever left your body? Have you ever had weird hallucinations or anything like that? No, only on drugs. Have you taken psychedelics? I did. I've, I've, uh, I mean, to that end, I've, um, I've done ayahuasca a few times. Oh, wow. How Um, was that for you? I couldn't be more interested. That was really great. That was, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I haven't had the, the, um, stereotypical, um, trip uh experience um journey i i haven't had what most people talk about which is someone you love a friend a family living or or deceased who kind of comes and guides you having um and it's not always someone that you know necessarily but someone kind of coming and taking your hand and taking you on a journey and showing you what you need to see I, i haven't had that experience yet but um there was one in particular time i've done it four times and uh one of the times was an um an especially intense experience mm. in a great way and i kind of allowed myself to relieve um a burden that i had held for an, an emotional burden that i had held that i didn't really know was there it was 
it is therapy. Um, and it was a beautiful experience. Hmm. I'm really happy that I got to have that. I, I don't, I, this isn't that type of podcast. And if you end up saying something you don't want in, you have weeks to tell me to edit it out. But can you give me a sense of the flavor of the regret? Was it something you had done? And uh, it, 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 it was, no, it was, um, uh, my, so my father passed away six years ago and the year, once I found out that he had ALS, I spent as much time as I could with him in Florida. Um, and, and which was, which is a lot of time I got to, I got to spend a lot of great time with him, but there were years leading up to that where I, I didn't put in any effort really to go out to Florida and see him. I'd see him once a year, maybe, or, um, once every couple of years as, uh, you know, but, but, it, you know, it didn't take away from how much I felt connected to him. I just didn't reach out enough and show him enough, um, uh, and benefit myself from our relationship. Cause you know, I, I still feel, um, he was, is one of the best friends and mentors and fathers like mm. I he's definitely I feel very grateful to have had him in my life for the time that I did get to have him but I I I, I think I felt regret about not seeing him more and and I just got to release that because it was my own negative energy that I was holding on to that he wasn't upset with me and I don't need to be upset with myself. The, the past is something I can't control, but I, ha I have now learned that lesson. And when it came down to it, um, I spent as much time as I possibly could with him and got so much out of it. And I know, you know, he appreciated me being there and, and, and um, just being present and showing him love and, you know, I mean, I, I really fulfilled the circle. I mean, I, uh, you know, he wiped my ass coming into this world and I wiped his ass going out of it quite mm. literally. Mm. Um, cause he couldn't really do that for himself. And, mm -hmm. uh, it made me, it made me understand how parents can change their baby's diapers and, deal with the smell the like horrible smell of shit inches from their face because <laughs> i like i was dry heaving taking you know binfuls of uh poop from the toilet that was in the living room the like just like um travel toilet or whatever this little seat with a bin under it and taking that to, to flush uh in the in the toilet because he couldn't really make the walk into the bathroom Mm. given how given how little strength he had in his legs and his whole body um but i i'll tell you i i did every moment of that with love and i'm so appreciative that i got to have that experience i'm not um, surprised yeah i'm not surprised that's really beautiful yeah i'm so glad you got that time i am too i i learned so much about him and i've learned so much about it's it's i i think this the journey since him leaving this, um, you know, since his body, uh, leaving in the, you know, in the manner that it does when someone passes away, um, my coping with it has been made a lot easier having had that time with him. Um, because I, I really, 
got a reminder before he left uh, how how he never will be gone, how I hold on to him every day and in, in the actions that I take and the way that I further the growth that he was um, that that he was was um, putting himself through and using Buddhism as a catalyst, I, I, um, I get to further, you know, his experiment with becoming a better man. Hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the stuff that you were, you know, that that's a mistake. Most of the mistakes that I think back and I go, I've made mistakes in my life. It's usually based on how they might've affected other people as opposed to the mistakes that I've made that, um, where I, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know if that. I don't know why I needed to say it, that, but <laughs> well, this one affected you. This one affected you, but it seemed yeah. like the plant, the ayahuasca, wanted to come in and and first of all, maybe it's not validate that you had a regret something that you did that was affecting you, and saying that's okay, and I, I think we all need to learn that it's like I, I've heard it say about like um, anger towards another person is like drinking poison and hoping that they'll die, you know, and in the same way that like self-flatulating that, um, did I say that right? Flat, it's flatulating is whipping. <laughs> we don't want to say farting. That sort of whipping is about you. You know what I mean? It was, it was mm-hmm. you carrying on something that was what it was, what it was. And I'm not saying that in the dismissive way, but mm-hmm. you were continuing to allow the story to be this one that wasn't serving you. And I know you know this, but your your father wouldn't have wanted that. And the plant was telling you, you don't want that. And it's that's the candle in the darkness. You go, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what am yeah. I doing? We have this like almost kinky desire. I mean, subconsciously to really continually whisper in our ear, you're a piece of shit. And, and I'm glad you got that help. Uh, me too. Yeah, I, I I think a lot of it actually tends to be power. Power power teaches people to be inferior. People in power want that power to be sustained. And that works in the ways that religion has been transformed over the years in many ways, in many places. Not always, but certainly, you know, the human condition plays a part in the how and how things develop. Mm-hmm. No matter how pure its inception was, um, you know, th- things when people have power, it develops into something different. And mm-hmm. that may not always be the best version of it. Um, but, you know, we get to look back and I don't know, this is a new experiment. You and I talking these things out is a new experiment in the human condition. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it often and almost always involves all these things that we wish had happened differently or didn't happen, you know. Um, so that's really beautiful. That's that's good alchemy. And it's good acceptance. I, I, meaning you're not spiritually bypassing it. You're driving through it, which is really powerful. Do you think your dad's practice was helpful to him as he was sick and, and towards the end? Honestly, yeah, he... he um... He, um, he gave so much, especially at the end, but I think he gave so much in his life. Um, when he kind of checked, when he found a new, 
list of priorities really in his life. I think he had started off with, um, as we all do, he, you know, developed into someone who really wanted to care and, and uh, help develop, um, uh, the next generation. And, you know, um, that was hugely present in the way that he went out. Mm. Um, because he was constantly just giving things in any way that he could physically books, um, pieces of information, uh, dialogue. Um, he was constantly chanting, um, under his breath because, uh, breathing unfortunately is a thing that becomes difficult in the way that the the lungs are affected by ALS but he you know fought so hard to the bitter end hmm. until he kind of uh went a little bit mad um uh when it, that's a whole other story but that's still even very funny that he I was I had I had gone away to work on a movie he he kind of he kept telling me that I couldn't, uh, he don't, you know, he, he loved me and I wanted to be there for him, but I knew that he also didn't want me to give up opportunities that would make me happy or things that I would regret. And so there was one movie that I had decided if this comes together, I'll go do this, but that was kind of it. Otherwise job wise, I was there to be with my dad and that was it. Um, and I, and I think, you know, part of, part of that time was taken up with one of the seasons of Silicon Valley, but, you know, we were nominated for an Emmy that year, I think, and I was with him watching it on on the screen because hmm. um, none of that matters um, compared to human life. And and to be honest, the only things that are valuable about those moments are that I would get to share them with these wonderful friends that I had made. Um, hmm. uh I lost my train of thought. You were talking a little bit about how he went mad. I don't know if that was. Oh, I was just going to tell you a funny. Tell me the funny. Tell me the funny story. He started to think. Oh, God, it just uh, like part of me feels like, oh, maybe he wasn't losing his mind, and he was just totally with it. And and <laughs> like this will be funny. Wait, wait till they wait till they hear this. Um, and he just kept saying he like he would grab my brother i wasn't i wasn't around for it so he would grab my my brother who was there um and he would tell him my brother paul and he would tell him um don't let him take my bag and he'd point to his he had a colostomy bag in and say they're trying to steal my bag (laughs) (laughs) and it's a, a bag of shit like it's a literal bag of his piss and shit um, and he would just say they're trying to steal his shit. Oh my I god! Just thought it was so funny. I um, mean, it seems to me there's a good chance that that's a very funny for somebody that who's giving away everything, and that's what we're doing as we're dying. You're giving it all away. So this seems like somebody who understood that. And here, take my take my time, take my conversation, take my possessions, and then at the end, he's like. Don't let them take my shit. That sounds Don't let like them take my shit. It's the only thing I'm keeping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much. As a dad, this is a selfish question, but I'm just I'm as you're speaking, I'm like, boy, I wish my daughter I hope that my daughter feels this way about me. When you say mentor and friend and somebody that you like, can you congeal that? Like what was it that your dad did? 
Was it as simple as he saw you as an equal, that he gave you space? What, what, what was it about his style with you as a parent? I think one of the most important things in any relationship is something that he exhibited very well, oftentimes, and, and failed at in many other times. But when you, when you broached a topic and you needed him to listen, he would listen. He was always, he, he, as much as human, as much as he was humanly capable, he was a great listener Mm. and, and that spreads to everything. Um, and, and, you know, something you just touched on definitely is a part of that. Um, which is when you listen with respect, everyone is your equal. So, Mm. uh, and, and you can learn from everyone. I started doing jujitsu at the beginning of last year. Um, that's not the end of that story. I'm not just bragging about doing <laughs> jujitsu. But uh, at, at the beginning of 2019, I started doing jujitsu. And the, I, I took a couple personal classes from uh, Cobrinha um, is his name. And he's a, a, a world, world-renowned uh, jujitsu instructor. And uh, um, he's incredibly good at beating at beating people in this craft of, of, um, you know, human chess. And I started learning with him and immediately he just kept, he kept saying the same sentence over and over again. It really stuck with me how he kept saying that, like, I would say, I'm an idiot. Like, I don't know how to do this or that, or, you know, we'd be in the middle of something and I would just acknowledge how I had made a mistake here or there. And he'd say, I'm learning so much. Like I come to this, as someone who has done this for 20 years, but you, who this is your day, day three of, of learning jujitsu, I'm learning from you. And I was like, mm. Oh, that, that's it. Like that is what listening truly is, is stepping into every moment humble. Mm. So, so that you can hear what someone else is saying. And to that end, I remember being a kid and they're, I don't even remember what it was we were talking about, but he just asked me a question specifically. We were sitting in the car and he just asked me a question about what I thought. I think about school, about something that was affecting my life. And I never get asked what, like, it's just do your homework, do this, do that, and and get good grades. Like, these are the important things, but never like what I think about a teacher or the schooling system or what. And I just remember him asking me a question and really listening to the answer. Hmm. I was like, oh, Okay. It, it gave me a sense of, of worth that adults don't often give children. Mm. And that stuck with me. That really, that moment carried over for years and years and years till now. Truly powerful. That um, Thich Nhat Hanh said, compassionate listening is the, is the, I'm, I'm hyping it up a little bit, but he basically said is the solution to war. And to and to strife, he's like if both sides could actually put their agendas down and just look each other in the eye and compassionately listen. What is it like to be someone trying to get over the Mexican border into America? Can we talk? Can we listen? And I mean, you you said it. It doesn't need the old PD commentary. That was beautiful. Um, well, Martin, this was unbelievable. I really enjoyed this. I really did. I um, we end because we do get a little deep. I'd like to end, ask one silly question at the end. Great. 
which is if you could remember a time in your life that you laughed very, very hard. I like to give a few prompts. Maybe somebody farted. Maybe somebody <laughs> fell down. Maybe you were stoned. Maybe you were on ayahuasca. Maybe uh, I'm going to tell you a story about my dad, if that's okay. I would love it. I was hoping it would be. Um, well, um, I mean, he had a sense of humor till till the end, and thank goodness it it, it um, it's one of the things that I have the fortune of carrying on in his legacy. Um, but he he was <laughs> he was sitting. He was sitting at he was sitting uh, in the living room on that toilet I I had mentioned earlier the like mm. portable toilet and it's just a bedpan uh, under a seat and he's just sitting on the toilet and I'm standing you know uh, a little ways away not to avoid the the smell um, in that moment I just happened to be over there and he just he looked back at me as he was popping a squat on this toilet and he just said. This is why I don't get invited to parties anymore. I laughed, <laughs> I laughed so hard. Uh, he just always was present. Oh, oh. And giving. You know what I mean? The beautiful thing about a joke is that it requires a certain degree of empathy. Meaning, there's Martin. He's watching his hero, his mentor, <laughs> hooping in a chair. <laughs> I'm going to address it. I'm going to break the tension. I'm going to invite him in. Instead of looking away, let's look at it. And, and instead of feeling fear and dread, let's laugh. And it's just a beautiful, it's a banquet. You're inviting someone to the banquet. That's what humor can be. Uh, and that's a beautiful example of that. Yeah. Well, Martin, I really, really, I've, I've always enjoyed when I run into you and I'm so glad that you, uh, I'm going to say had the courage to come on, not knowing me very well. I'm so glad you did. Hey, likewise. I'm I'm happy to. I'm happy that uh, you asked me to do this, and we ended up here of yeah, all man. places, right, right here. here. That's uh, it's where the only place we've ever been. <laughs> hey. there we, we we <laughs> we end with the guest saying the catchphrase. Um, mm. which is keep it crispy. For some reason, we have the guest say it. Keep it crispy. Okay. For now today you know keep it crisp stay present stay alert listen yeah. that's what it'll mean today you know what you have to do keep it crispy <laughs> the agreement of it delights me every time it gets the fact that people are willing to do it really tickles me and then when you give it a little a little essence a little uh, personalization makes me even happier well lots of love to you thank you for this time and enjoy uh, the rest of your uh, day. Yeah. I'll see you when the world opens up again. Can't wait. Vaccine's coming, baby. Hey, step by step. <laughs> All right, pal. Be well. Adios. So crispy, my ice